and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about spray coverage, but if you've got any questions or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, or you're just wondering about going into the 2022 growing season and how you can be more successful on your farm in terms of agronomic decisions, we'd be happy to talk to you here. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute to start the show today. But before we do that, I just wanted to let you know Next Monday and Tuesday, we've got a couple of great opportunities for you. If you'd like to join us, we are doing a free Ag PhD tiling clinic on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we're doing a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Both of those will be at our facility at the Ag PhD field day site, which is right outside of Baltic, South Dakota, right north of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So you can join us in person for free. The reason why we put these seminars on each year is just to say thanks to you for watching our television show, listening to us here on Ag PhD Radio. We really, really appreciate that. And if you would like to join us online, we don't have an option for you on Tuesday, but on Monday for the Tiling Clinic, we do. If you are an Ag PhD Magazine subscriber, you can watch our Tiling Clinic live and free. Uh, it will also be recorded, so you'll have about a week or so to catch the event. And again, it's just if you are an Ag PhD magazine subscriber, so you can go to agphdinsider.com to learn more about our magazine and subscribe there, or you can go to agphd.com, look under our events tab, and then we list all our events, including the Tiling Clinic Monday and the Corn Agronomy Workshop on Tuesday. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. First question comes from Arkansas. It's from Mitch. He says, I've listened to your, your talks about the three pre-program in beans and was wondering why Arkansas doesn't practice this. We have tons of resistance, so we also preach multiple modes and the use of pre's. Now, I'm a fan of all three pre's you mentioned, but in Arkansas, it's unheard of to mix metribuzin and a PPO like Valor. Yellows plus Valor or yellows plus metribuzin is a common application, but I only know of one person who applied metribuzin and Valor pre, and it caused significant damage to his beans. There are no publications from the University of Arkansas encouraging a three-way mix, nor a mix of Valor and Metribuzin. I can only assume your soil up north is able to handle that combination better than our soil here, or possibly our lack of organic matter compared to yours. Any feedback would be appreciated. Look, Mitch, uh, we talk about this three-pre thing all over the United States and into Canada, and it works great. So there's no reason why it can't work in Arkansas. Now, I don't know what happened in the situation where the farmer had had soybean damage where he put metribuzin together with valor but it is possible you can overdo it with any of these three pre's and then you're going to hurt the crop metribuzin is the one we talk most about in regards to that because metribuzin sensitive to sandy soil and it's sensitive to high ph in sand you get very very quick uptake in high ph just like other trizines like in corn atrazine for example Metribuzin is more active at high pH levels. So when we get above 7, and especially above 7.4, we always tell people cut the rate at that point. Now, putting Metribuzin together with Valor is fine. But I, I would say we have had some people 
mistakenly put Valor together with Sharpen, so they've got two PPOs. Now that's overload of PPO. We've also had people really go with a high rate of Valor, a super high rate of Valor. I mean, you can only run up to three ounces in the spring, four ounces in the fall, but up to three ounces in the spring. And a lot of times, just to be on the safe side, we only go two or two and a half ounces in the spring. The other thing you could have seen there is the splash up that sometimes happens with Valor. And I don't care if you put it with Metribuzin, with the yellow, or with neither. You can always get the splash up with any of these PPOs because they've got decent soil residual. They hang on to that soil. Well, if you've got no rain and then all of a sudden after the beans have come up, it rains and the rain comes down so hard, it hits the soil and splashes the soil and the chemical that is still in that topsoil back up onto the leaf, then you could see leaf burn there. Usually that's just cosmetic and doesn't typically cause any kind of yield loss. But anyway, why do some people only talk about using a couple pre's? A lot of it has to do, quite frankly, with farmer pushback. So I've been a full-time agronomist for over 30 years, and I can just tell you there aren't many farmers I've met who say, you know what? I want to spend more money this year. Let's just do that. Let's go with the very best possible program I can run with. Occasionally I get that, but usually what I get is, oh boy, we got to make sure we're really watching the dollars and cents. Now I get that. We farm too, and I want to watch the dollars and cents also, but I don't care necessarily about what I spend. I care about what I'm going to make. And if I got a real problem, whether it's palmer pigweed, water hemp, kochia, ragweed, lamb's quarters, I mean, there are a lot of tough weeds out there. That's why I want three effective modes of action on them pre-emerge, not just two. So yeah, there's no reason why you can't use the three pre's. You just have to be a little bit careful about the rate. All right, next one here comes from Susan. Oh, actually, sorry, Kevin. Uh, email was from Susan, but it says Kevin at the bottom. So anyway, I'm assuming this is from Kevin here, who says, I had my first nitrate and ammonium N soil test sampled this fall, and the results came in uh, just recently. I had three samples over a 160-acre farm and two samples over a 100-acre farm. Now, all samples are taken randomly. However, it turned out that all samples are taken from different soil types and slopes. Both farms were beans in 2020 and corn this past year. Three samples and from different fields were 13 parts per million for nitrate N and four parts per million for ammonium N. Samples supposedly taken at one foot depth. Now the lab said I had 61 pounds of N. Okay, let's talk about that math real quick. So basically if you had a grand total of 17 pounds of N in the soil, or I should say 17 parts per million, and you go a foot deep, in a foot, that is representative of 4 million pounds because across a whole acre, a foot deep, it weighs roughly 4 million pounds. So you take your 17 times 4, and that's where you get, and it's it's not exact, but I mean, I'm, I'm telling you how they're roughly doing the math. So that's why you end up with this 61 pounds of N. Anyway, his, his question here is, do I use this nitrogen or do I bank it? Well, look, I would be planning to use some of that. It's just a question of, is it still going to be there when your crop needs it? I don't know that. I can't answer that for you. I don't know what your soil types are like and how much rainfall you get, but I would count on some of that nitrogen being available for your crop, and I would try to use that up. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking a little about spray coverage. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything else on your farm, you can call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Well, first on the show, we've got Nick Flights with us. He is with Pentair. Nick, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing all right today, Brian. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right, so this spray coverage conversation, I just a couple of weeks ago, we were doing a wheat workshop, a wheat agronomy workshop, and we were talking about this with our farmers a little bit, and especially when we get to some of these products. You know, a lot of people now are thinking about dicamba, especially, that's really gotten in the press, and, and also Roundup for years, that, boy, we have to make our droplets a lot bigger, but with a lot of other products there are a lot of wheat herbicides and a lot of fungicides especially we want phenomenal spray coverage so just talk to us a little bit about how that conversation goes with a lot of the farmers and the agronomists you're talking with because it's a wide range all the way from great big droplets to hey i want little droplets and fantastic coverage yeah certainly uh you know when you hit on it the most really the, the first step is understanding what type of chemistry that you're you're looking to apply and whether it's a systemic like a dicamba, 2,4-D glyphosate that will be taken up by the plant and translocated uh, throughout its vasculature system. That we can do with coarser droplets, more focused on drift control, things like that, and maximizing leaf area coverage isn't quite as important. Um, but you're talking about your, your fungicides, uh, contact herbicides, and that's really where that uniformity of coverage, that droplet density having a lot of droplets densely packed on that surface area 
really is a requirement to, to get uh, good performance, to get good pest control with that. Um, trying to maximize coverage, this is going to sound a little bit strange, but the first thing I'm going to tell you to do is when you pull your sprayer out this spring, check your nozzles. Check them for wear. If you're using older nozzles, if you're using nozzles that are, are worn out, you're going to see an increase in the flow rate at a given pressure. And what your sprayer is going to do if that happens is it's going to sense that increase in that higher than expected flow rate, and it's going to reduce the pressure. If we reduce that pressure, we can see larger droplets. Um, if you're spraying more viscous products or if we're calibrated to be working kind of at the lower end of that pressure range, you could see some instances of pattern collapse and reduced pattern overlap that could uh, work to reduce our coverage while we're spraying. So it's, it's kind of a, a little different recommendation or something to think of uh, that people may not have in their mind. But really, check those nozzles out when you pull your sprayer out uh, to, to make sure that they're going to give the desired level of performance. And that's going to help you achieve that spray coverage that you're looking for. How long should an average spray nozzle last? So in number of acres, um, you're, you're really looking, I think, 50,000. When you get around 50,000 acres, you certainly need to be checking them. It's kind of going to depend on the type of nozzle, the, the design. An air induction nozzle should last longer than a flat fan nozzle. Uh, so a flat fan nozzle, uh, that 45,000 to 50,000 acres, you should be getting close to the end of its life. An air induction nozzle, you're probably going to be closer to about 60,000 acres. Well, the other thing I think of is it's not just acres. It's also a little bit time because some of these things deteriorate over time. They sit there for very long. So, yeah, I think that's good advice. Be checking on your nozzles. All right, so in terms of anything new and different in the nozzle world that could help someone in terms of spray coverage, what do you have for us? So I'll say a couple things. The first is, you know, really any nozzle you're using, be careful with pressure. Be careful with droplet size. Uh, we talk a lot about higher pressure, smaller droplets to get high, higher levels of coverage. But too much of a good thing can be bad. Uh, if you're using too high a pressure, too fine of a droplet, we can actually see a lot of droplet evaporation, uh, particularly when you get later into the spring season. Those droplets can evaporate before they reach the target, before they can really infiltrate that canopy. So, so be careful there. Um, a lot of folks will use uh, incline spray patterns, um, nozzles like the Pentair High Pro 3D or Guardian Air Twin. Um, that's their design to kind of help canopy penetration and coverage of vertical targets. Uh, so you can kind of look into nozzle designs. New to the, the nozzle world, um, later this spring, the uh, Pentair High Pro will be introducing a new nozzle to the market called the 3D90. So if you're familiar with our 3D nozzle, uh, it's kind of building on that technology, that unique design uh, that we have there, but with a coarser droplet spectrum. Uh, so it'll be more versatile for a wider range of spraying. And that coarser droplet size will help with coverage when we get into those warmer months um, where the evaporation potential is higher. Kind of trying to give the best of both worlds uh, of drift reduction and coverage at the same time. Uh, we, we've seen some benefits to using coarser droplets for all our spraying with appropriate water volumes. Uh, so the nozzles kind of kind of work in that space and, and work on some of that newfound knowledge. 
Yeah, lots to talk about when it comes to spray nozzles. If you want more information, again, this has been Nick Flights with Pentair, so you can certainly check out his work. We have also done some work together with Pentair and the Hypro nozzles. So we do have a spray tips guide or spray tip guide. Uh, if you go to your uh, to go to the app store, you can download this free app that we have for your smartphone or your tablet. All right, Nick, thanks a lot for the time today. As always, we appreciate having you on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. You bet. All right, next we've got Devin Hemmer on with us. He is with Bayer. So, Devin, uh, let's talk a little about Dicamba. It's, it's been in the press just a little bit here in the last few years. What are you learning? What's new and different going into 2022 in terms of Dicamba and labels and the usage? Yeah, first off, good afternoon, and thanks for having me on. Um, so, yes, I would say we, we have seen a few things related to uh, not just Extendamax, but also the other uh, over-the-top soybean and cotton uh, Dicamba products. Uh the last couple months here, but as far as new uh, or, or anything with the label, um, you know, I think we have been uh, directed and it's been indicated to us to, to continue with the, the 2020 label as written. Uh, so that is what we are out there uh, training on uh, when we've done a number of trainings already uh, here the last couple weeks of January and we're getting ready to kick that up, uh, including the, the online CVT. Uh, there are some states, I think, that are looking at different things. Um, you know, we had states last year, uh, Illinois and Indiana, uh, to, to name a couple that, that did a couple additional requirements uh, for, for those. And we, we might see a couple more, uh, but we don't have any final indication on that yet. Other than that, the, the federal label from, from 2020 is, is what we are training on. All right, so one of the big things that I've found is if you spray early, you get better weed control and there's less risk in terms of off-target movement. So can you talk to us about that and, and just any type of messaging you typically have for farmers and agronomists with regards to that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I agree absolutely. Spraying the weeds when they're smaller, and that tends to be earlier season as well, uh, for no matter the herbicide that you're using, gives you, gives you a better chance to, to get the control that we want to see out there. Uh, and, and so what we've done uh, and, and continue to do is really try to set up, uh, when we think about an extend or an extend flex system, uh, it is really pro you program it out from whether it's tillage or burn down to start, putting in a really good pre-emerge herbicide following the planter, uh, you know, always using more than one effective mode of action. Uh, and really the way I always tried to, to talk about following up with the post is you don't you don't really wait until the weeds are, are ready uh, because that's how you you can miss a couple here and there and that leads to, to later season problems it's really about prescribing uh, you know that 21 to 28 days mark it on your calendar after you plant and and just plan to go back out and hit that post when including a post residual herbicide like a like a warrant or a warrant ultra um, and, and so that's you know, really the best thing to do. We've actually got some really interesting data uh, from 2020, and we're going to continue looking at it in, in 2021, or excuse me, data from 21 looking at continuing 22 with uh, conventional till soybean systems, particularly where including uh, Extendamax herbicide with that pre-emerge, really regardless of what product it was, we, we did see a benefit in terms of the residual weed control. Hey, Not that hey Devin, that uh, is giving. Yeah, say, Devin, yeah. I apologize. we got to take a quick break. If you can hang on with us, i got a couple more questions for you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Right before the break, we were talking with Devin Hemmer with Bayer. And Devin, you were just saying, and I apologize, we had to cut you off there, but you were just saying how adding the Extendamax to a residual herbicide does help that residual end of things. And that was going to be one of my questions for you is kind of what you're seeing, because Mm -hmm. we've talked about this for years, especially when using the full rate of Extendamax, you are going to have some residual. Now, it's not going to last for months or anything like that, but it definitely helps. It's a lot better than just a straight contact killer. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting, and, and you mentioned a full rate of Extendamax, and so we, we did used to have that 44-ounce full-pound use rate um, for, for pre, which we no longer have with the 2020 label. 
but the the research that we did last year in continuing this year, looking even at the half pound rate, 22 fluid ounces of Extendamax, uh, you know, you it's it's active almost immediately in the soil. That 14 soil, the 14 day soil activity that you hear uh, us talk about, the moisture that's already there and present helps that to be active. Uh, whereas your your more traditional residual herbicides, your your warrants. Um, some of the other products out there that are really useful residuals take a little more uh, precipitation, you know, half inches is typically the standard, sometimes a little more depending on the product. But the Extendamax is really available right there and giving you that weed control on broad leaves. Um, and it's a really great combo. Okay, changing gears a little bit, you've got an online tool. Can you talk to us about the Roundup Ready Extend Spray app? Yeah, so we've had that for a few years now, uh, continuing there. And so it's got a couple really great functions. First and foremost, uh, it's, it's a great forecasting tool for temperature, wind speeds, wind direction. Uh, so, you know, you're going to have a spray day. Uh, it's always great to, to check your locations where you're planning to, to try to get an idea where to prioritize maybe time of day. Now, it's not going to give you readings of, the, of those things, the temperature and the wind speeds. So, so it's important to use proper tools to, to calculate that for record keeping. But really the, the neat function about it, and I think almost the more handy function is, uh, you can actually do all your rec- record keeping through the app itself. Uh, and so it's right there electronically. All right, and one last thing that I had for you is there is a tool for farmers who don't want to spray themselves that could help them identify an applicator. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so you can go online, uh, roundupreadyextend.com, and one of the tabs at the top of that, there's a lot of great information there, but one of the things you can do is use this Find an Applicator tool. Essentially, all you need to do is enter a zip code, uh, and we've worked with uh, various commercial commercial applicators to get their information. Uh, You type in your zip code. I'm down here in in Missouri, so 6304, and, and, you know, I could get... Uh, a number of applicators in my area, uh, pull them up, get their contact information, and, and get some help. All right, again, we've been talking with Devin Hemmer. He's with Bayer. Devin, thanks a lot. That was great information. I, I mean, dicamba is a tremendous tool. It's just just like with all pesticides, we have to use these tools properly so we keep them on the market and keep them working effectively out in the fields. Thanks a lot, Devin. Appreciate the time today. Yes, thank you so much. You bet. Right next on the show, we got Lee Lubers with us. He is an outstanding farmer in South Dakota and also with Extreme Ag. Lee, how are things going on your farm today? Uh, Things are going good. All right, so we're talking today a little about spray coverage. Can you tell us maybe any of the stories off your farm and some of the lessons you've learned about spray coverage and just the effectiveness of the different products that you're using? Uh, The first rule is, is, don't cut any corners. <laughs> That's the most important thing. Uh, always use the surfactants that are recommended and any of the adjuvants. And uh, we've had really good luck over the years. If we just look at the label, talk to the rep, you know, talk to our retailer and uh, heed their advice, we get along fine. I'm glad you brought up the adjuvant side. We hadn't talked about that yet today, but the purpose of a non-ionic surfactant, for example, is to help that product spread 
and stick on the leaf. And there are, in some cases, some of the products will already have an adjuvant in there, so you don't have to add anything. But with a lot of these herbicides now, you do have to add something like that, and it can make it just a tremendous difference. The other thing to take that one step further would be methylated seed oil or crop oil, and I kind of think about that out in your region, because that can actually help penetrate through the leaf. So, I mean, talk to us about maybe just switches you make with adjuvants when you start getting hot and dry, like can often happen to you in the summer. Uh, We always like running what's recommended for the product. So we always have several on hand to cover the spectrum of what we're doing. And we also make sure that we treat our water to adjust our pH uh, because all water is not created equal. So that's our carrying base. So that's very important. We learned that. Uh, We've evolved uh, past AMS and uh, do a water treatment product, and it works great. And uh, then also, even on our spray tips, we always make sure to update our tips. Uh, Tip technology has improved greatly in the last 10 years. How often are you changing spray nozzles? Are you doing it every couple of years, or what do you do? Uh, Even for our acres... Uh, you know, each machine, you know, covering 30,000 acres a year. Uh, by We're not running AMS anymore, so we're not really running much for dry product through. It seems like our tips will run four years before we replace them. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and, and here's one other thing. When, like for us on our farm, we have five-way nozzle bodies now. What what are you running on your farm and how do you make the switch so you can go from one nozzle to the next? Because I'm assuming you're not just spraying the same thing all through the season. You need to make adjustments and switch spray nozzles. How do you do it? Yeah, we run the five-way nozzle bodies. Uh, Those are awesome. I remember when we first got to run three-way nozzle bodies and we thought that was pretty great. But five actually covers all of our needs for the year. So with yours, do you have to manually change them, or do you have a button that'll switch them out for you? We're still old school. We we flip <laughs> them manually, and it also gives you a good chance to get out and check out your sprayer. It does. You know? It, it, it does. I, I just will admit, it, it's so easy hitting a button. So, I, yep, I, I remember the old days. It, and I'll say, too, it is it is a little bit more work today when you have to make those changes because I don't know how big your stuff is, but, I mean, we're running 120-foot spray booms. We used to, I used to think our 45-foot spray boom was big, and now we're up to 120. I mean, there are a lot of spray tips on that whole thing. Yeah, by the time you look down 120 foot and start <laughs> flipping at 15 inch centers, it takes a little while, but it gives you a good chance to just check thing over, yeah. check everything over on your machine, and also think about the job you're doing, stretch your legs. That's always good. Uh, we will be going, I'm sure, to all electric here, probably the next trade update that we do. But for right now, the five way nozzle bodies are. Awesome. Hey, I realize this isn't on the spray coverage topic necessarily, but I think about spray tank cleanout and even nozzle cleanout sometimes because, and, and the reason why I just got to thinking about that is, is you're making these changes and looking for things. We've had stuff plug, plugged up spray nozzles and all of a sudden we think, oh, we're getting great coverage and it's harder to keep track of when you have all those nozzles back there in a 120 foot boom. So have, have you had, have you run into any of those issues where you haven't cleaned things out necessarily or what is your process for clean out? Uh, we're big on sprayer hygiene. So uh, we always use uh, uh, tank cleaners 
And then uh, for our booms, we were having some issues building up in the end. And we actually talked to Hypro about it. And they came up with a solution. So we put those kits on last year. So we have a, a straight clean out. We have no place for residue to hang up anymore. That has saved so much time for cleaning out all of our booms and nozzle bodies. Yeah, that's that's nice technology. I, I mean, it's it's just fun seeing all these changes that have come in agriculture. It's made things a heck of a lot easier. Well, we've been talking with Lee Lubers. He farms in South Dakota and is also part of the Extreme Ag Group. If you're interested in what Lee is doing and any of the farmers involved with Extreme Ag, you can go to extremeag.farm online to check that out. Thanks for the time today, Lee. Hope things are going well on your farm. Hey, no problem. Right after this, we're going to jump back into the Ag PhD mailbag. We've been getting a lot of questions in. If you've got any questions for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. 
Revitech fungicide. Brand new chemistry. Three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Just talking a little about spray coverage. I can't stress this to you enough. If you're going to use a contact killer or a fungicide, you have to have phenomenal spray coverage. So let me give you just the names of a few products I can think of off the top of my head where this would be important. First of all, all foliar fungicides. This is super important, and here's the reason why. With fungicides, they move in the xylem of the plant only. Okay, there are two transport systems in plants, not to go too deep on you or anything, but just in layman's terms, I'll just say this, the phloem in plants can move products down and up. So for example, let's say you have dicamba, 2,4-D, Roundup, they can move in the phloem, they can move down and up through the plants, they can move all throughout the plant, no problem. But the trouble with fungicides is they only move in the xylem, meaning they only move upward. So if you don't cover the lower leaves, if you don't cover even the lower halves of leaves, those will be completely unprotected, completely unprotected. And also, if there are new leaves that come out, they're going to be unprotected. So that's why repeated applications are often needed with fungicides. But anyway, the point here is simply you've got to have phenomenal spray coverage always with fungicides. When I think about herbicides, the ones that come to mind would be Bucktril, Gramoxone, Bassagran, Liberty, there are a number of products like that that they are what we would call contact killers. So if you don't get incredible spray coverage, then you may not kill that weed. So when you compare that to these other products that can move in the phloem of the plant, like Roundup, Dicamba, 2,4-D, there's an enormous difference. And Nick Flights brought this up a little bit, but I just wanted to stress this to you, that when you've got a contact killer, that's why you need the great spray coverage. And what that typically involves is more water, a little more spray pressure, and a smaller spray droplet. Now, most people think they can solve the whole problem by just increasing the water. You can to some degree, but if you're using a great big droplet, I don't care if you're going 10 gallons or 20 gallons, you're probably still not going to get the great coverage that you really need using fungicides or any of those contact herbicides. On the other hand, when we talk about these products that are mobile in the plant, what I'm interested in is concentrated droplets getting on the leaves and getting into the leaves. So I want, I want the, the product to spread, to stick, and then to penetrate and get into the leaf. It's not always about more water. Let's say you're using Roundup, for example. I'm, I'm never going to tell you ever to use more than 10 gallons of water per acre. We can still get we can get good enough spray coverage by having 10 gallons or less. And then the big thing is now you've got a more concentrated droplet than if you ran 20 gallons. But I will say this, even with Roundup, where we use smaller spray droplets and get a little better coverage, the control is just slightly better. So here's where I'm going with this. If let's say that I had Roundup. And I'm not regulated like I, as much like I am with dicamba. Around the borders of your fields or near sensitive fields, I'm probably going to be using a bigger, 
bigger nozzle, in other words, bigger droplets, so I reduce the movement out of my field. But I don't worry about volatility or any of that kind of stuff. It's just literally the physical drift with, with Roundup. So once I get out in the field and I'm a quarter mile away from the neighbor or whatever, you know what? I'm going to go to a smaller spray droplet. I'm not saying a super small droplet, but a smaller droplet. And I'm going to improve my coverage a little bit, and I'll usually improve my control just a little bit too. So it's just something for you to think about there. Coverage is always important, even with those products that can move well throughout the plant. All right, we're going to jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag now. And again, if you've got a question for us, you can email us radio at agphd.com, or you can certainly give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. Our next question here is from Uganda. Now, we actually had, and I don't know, I didn't get a name with this question here, but uh, I will say we had a farmer come all the way from Uganda about, I'm going to say it was three or four years ago to our Ag PhD field day. That was super fun. I think he stayed around here for a few days afterwards, still asking us questions. <laughs> but anyway, uh, here's this email. It says, hello, friends. Thanks for the show and for always sharing uh, with us impactful information. I'm a first-generation farmer from East Africa and northern Uganda, uh, this coming year in the first season, I'm going to plant conventional soybeans on 20 acres. But is it possible to achieve, and he says, 100 pounds per acre yield. I'm assuming he means 100 bushels. Uh, and he says, for three years, I've been watching your show on YouTube and learning step by step. My soil pH is 6.0. I wish it was as simple as for me to just say, oh, yeah, you know, you don't have to give me hardly any information. You just do these five steps and you're going to get 100 bushel beans. But we're still working on achieving 100 bushel yields on our farm after all these years. The best full field we've ever had is uh, is around 80 bushels. Now, granted, we don't have a lot of rainfall or anything. We don't have the best soils. But I, I would just say what I'm interested in is what do you have for soil tests? So if you want to send us some soil tests, I'd, I'd be happy to take a look at those for you. And then... Seed genetics are huge. I don't know what you're going to get for conventional soybean genetics there, but the better the genetics, obviously, the better the yield you can achieve. And then you want to do a great job in terms of weed, insect, and disease control, because without that, all the other things can be lost to some degree. So anyway, good luck over there. And if you've got more information to send us and other questions, we're happy to answer those for you anytime. All right, next question comes from Tanner. He says, how big of a deal is it? If my potassium in parts per million in my soil test is higher than my magnesium, at what point should I be concerned and how much of an impact will it have, if any? Tanner, you know, prior to a few years ago, I would have told you, boy, I don't know that it's really that big a deal. We know potassium is super important. Magnesium is important too, but if, if potassium is higher than magnesium, I don't know if it hurts that much. But we've done a lot more studying on that now and comparing yield points to soil test points. And what we're finding is like on our farm, for example, if our magnesium to potassium ratio, and I'm talking parts per million here, magnesium to potassium ratio is roughly two to one. That's about where we're maximizing yield. And somewhere in the one to one, to two to one range for most crops, that that's going to be pretty good. But you start getting it, let's say it's uh, potassium being higher than magnesium. So all of a sudden your magnesium to potassium ratio is less than one. Um, what we have found in on our farm is yes, yields can go down a little bit. Now, just as importantly with that, I'm interested in how much 
potassium is out there and how much magnesium out there is out there. Because where I'm going with this is if you're potassium super low and your magnesium's even lower well both things are actually hurting you so maybe you need to apply both so anyway tanner if you want to send us your soil test we can take a look at that and maybe give you a, a little bit better advice but i i would just say yes i am absolutely concerned if my potassium is higher than my magnesium so number one if I had like super crazy excess magnesium or potassium, I'd probably try to draw that down a little bit. But two, if my magnesium was really low, I would apply some. And, and there are lots of different sources out there for magnesium. All right. The other day we were talking a little about sagebrush on Ag PhD TV. And I got, uh, got an email from Rambo who says, we're going through a drought in my area and dealing with sagebrush and the federal government playing with water rights through WOTUS. Uh, D5 and a root rake can reclaim rangeland from uh, BLM adjacent ground. That's the best solution we've found. So yeah, sagebrush is a really tough one and it's hard because look at where sagebrush grows. It's not like the heart of the corn belt or anything. So it's definitely going to be a challenge out there. But uh, on our on our show, we did talk about some herbicide alternatives and things like that. All right. And then we got a question here from Brandon who says, hey guys, are there any differences in how you recommend growing field corn versus sweet corn. So for example, planting depth, fertilizer rates, that kind of thing. Thanks guys. I love the show. All right. With sweet corn, you got to think about a couple of things. People are looking for a lot of times bigger ears. So usually we're planting lower populations. And then the next thing is taste obviously is really important. Well, I'm not saying we don't want you to look at this also with field corn because we do, but a lot of people just simply don't look as much at their micronutrients. So we really want you to not just focus on your N, P, and K, but really take a hard look at sulfur. Sulfur is super important, as are zinc, copper, manganese, boron, iron. So just look at the complete level of, of soil fertility there that's super important but yeah planting depth and a lot of the basic things don't change when we talk sweet corn versus field corn stay tuned we'll be right back it came in waves ruthlessly eliminating the toughest hard to kill grassy weeds in wheat everest 3.0 herbicide a new formulation delivers superior flush after flush control of wild oats and green foxtail and Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, 
Don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Bill wants plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, you can email us radio at agphd.com or give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, my next email that I got here, and I apologize, I don't have a name on this, it looks like, but uh, I'll just preface this by saying there are a lot of different ways to farm, and we often make that comment. And so anyway, we get this email from a person who says, well, we use zero dry fertilizer, we use zero fungicide, we use zero insecticide, and our nitrogen use this season will be three gallons or less on small grains, 12 or 15 or less on corn. Our goal is to eliminate all end use this next season. But then this person goes on to say, um, we do use cover crops and we use composted chicken manure and we use composted liquid chicken manure with liquid carbon and sugar. So actually there is a lot of nitrogen in all that. Uh, so I, I, I guess I'll just say, yes, it's not commercial fertilizer, but there's still a tremendous amount of nitrogen that's being applied there. Anyway, this person says we grow 100 bushel wheat, 55 to 60 bushel double crop beans, 180 to 210 bushel corn, and 70 to 80 full bushel full season beans. We brought cattle back this fall, looking to decrease those inputs even more. Uh, we grew wrapper dark air cured tobacco this year with zero N, only cover crops, manure, carbon, and sugar. You're correct. You can farm any way you want and make a crop. You're not right. Soils are healthier. The nutrient value of crops grown today are 50% the nutritional value they were just 50 years ago. That's where I'm going to stop this right here. No, I absolutely do not believe that is true. The nutritional value is not 50%. Could the nutrient value of certain crops be a little bit less coming out of certain fields? Absolutely, that's possible. You're going to see variance from my field to yours to anybody else's. But to make a blanket statement that our crops are 50% the nutritional value, that is absolutely false. Uh Anyway, it goes on to say here, the soils can't be healthier if the nutritional value is less. Uh, and you guys say you can't cover crop. Well, change your rotation. You use shorter season crops, and you most certainly can. 
I'm trying to make as much money on my, uh, so off to the side here, uh, and we'll come back to finish up this email. But anyway, I'll just say, I'm trying to make money on my farm. And well, well, we've tried to raise wheat and we can raise hundred bushel spring wheat even, which is some of the best spring wheat in the country. It still doesn't pay compared to corn and soybeans. And so can I raise a double zero soybean or maybe a group zero soybean? And then I have time to raise a cover crop. Well, sure. But am I going to, is it going to pay? I don't think it will. But I'm all for anybody trying to farm however they want to farm. I don't care. But anyway, this email then says, and one more thing, the way I'm speaking of is the way that our Most High Yah, our Elohim, or basically God, designed it. Look, when we start making the claim that God designed this or that or whatever, and this is how we're supposed to farm, that's going to be real hard for me to say, Oh, yep, you have to do it because when I read in the Bible, it doesn't say you can use no-till and you cannot use conventional tillage. You can use Roundup herbicide or you can't use Roundup herbicide. You can only use compost and manure or whatever it is. It doesn't say any of that. So I just kind of look at this whole thing as God gave us brains and it's our job to try to figure out how we can do the best for the planet for human beings, for crop health, everything else. There are a lot of different ways to go about it. We appreciate the feedback and everything. And yes, there are a lot of ways to farm, and we're certainly not going to fault anybody for trying about whatever you want to try, and we'll try to help you in whatever method you want to try. But every area is a little bit different, and at the end of the day, we have to make money or we do not stay in business. So anyway, uh, the next one here is going to probably be a little bit controversial. This is from Pam, who's a nurse in Illinois. And I'd written an article in our last Ag PhD Insider magazine, and I called it sustainability. And anyway, one of the things that I had talked about is just the use of biotechnology and then also about the shot and, and like the Moderna and Pfizer shot, how it's the same basic technology. It's mRNA technology. And I want you to think about BT corn. Well, with BT corn, what happens in the plant? It produces a protein that the plant wouldn't normally produce. When they stick that needle in you and you get the Moderna or the Pfizer shot, it's basically working the same way. The body then produces a protein it wouldn't normally produce. The vaccine doesn't kill COVID. It's the protein that's produced then by your body that kills a COVID. So anyway, it, it, it's very similar kind of stuff. And a lot of people are totally opposed to biotechnology, but yet they want the shot. And I'm going, well, wait a second here. Like even in Europe, they had to change their biotech laws. They couldn't ban GMOs anymore. Otherwise, they couldn't get the shot. So any anyway, uh, Pam just says here, uh, I okay, she says, as a nurse for over 40 years, the idea of virology, immunization, and promoting health by vaccinating against infectious disease was not foreign to me. And this anti-science of the new technology of mRNA, uh, albeit a 30-year history, somehow attached the political anti-science mentality to refuse vac- vaccination as a violation to one's human liberties was stunningly, well, her, her comments here, stupid. Uh, but anyway, she just asks if, we can, if she can share information that, that we had, like with our article, and yes, Pam, you certainly can share that. But anyway, she says, this old nurse, thanks and appreciates your article. Making it shareable would be a great way to get the word out and hopefully save a few Republican anti-vaxxers' lives. Look, this has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat or anything else. And also don't think that I'm saying, oh, everybody has to have the shot. I'm just simply talking about the science and the technology and just comparing that to BT. As our listeners, you do whatever you want to do. 
the United States anyway is a free country, so it should be your choice to do whatever you want to do, and I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get any more into the political stuff. I want to get back to agronomy. So let's answer this one from Wesley down in Kentucky, who says, I recently started tiling for the first time last year and was wondering the best way to record the field lines I have, the field lines. I have a, a Trimble, um, and I want to go back and record those lines and save them on a flash drive. Is there a computer program I can upload them to, or is there a better way to record them and save them all together? So, Wesley, what I've done with our old stuff is, yes, I have just put that on my computer, and actually, I, I use Dropbox. I don't care what anybody else uses out there, but get something that goes to the cloud, something that saves in all your computers, and probably even have a flash drive too, so I can go back and look at all my tile lines that we've ever put in, starting clear back in 2007. Yeah, you absolutely want access to all that stuff for many years. All right, next one is from Eric out in Idaho. He says, I'm in the Palouse wheat growing region of, of northern Idaho. I grow winter canola, winter wheat, spring wheat, and fallow. With the developments of drone technology, can you comment on the usefulness of aerial drones for applying herbicides, fungicides, and plant health products? The biggest problem I currently see is the low application volume of 1 to 2 gallons per acre. Is this a technology that just needs to develop further? Well, Eric, I will say, sure, every technology needs to develop further, and hopefully it's going to be better. But there are drones being used all over the world right now for applications. We're going to be doing some on our own farm this next year and with a few farmers in our area just as more experimentation. And so we'll be talking more about it on Ag PhD and tell you what we learn. But the one to two gallon thing doesn't concern me that much because when you stop and think about it, whether it's a helicopter or an airplane, a lot of them are only using one to two gallons and we can get by because of the downforce with uh, that that is created by that aerial machine. So my question is just how much downforce we're going to get with the, the, the propellers there uh, that are with the blades that are spinning is that going to give us good coverage or not and so we're going to be studying more of that as we go through this summer but it's interesting and you know you 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 think about it just like the safety factors and everything else if there is not a person that's up in the air making the application it does make some sense but the big thing for me that I look at is how many trips are we going to have to make in a field? I, we got some awfully big fields. We're going to be doing a lot of trips, and it's going to take more time. But, you know, the and the drones do cost a lot of money, but they, they've got it now. And I think in the U.S. here, they've got it approved for, I don't remember what they call it, the, the fleet of drones. So you can use like uh, you can use three of them in a field at the same time is what I understand. But, yeah, it's going to be a continuing evolving technology rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff is going to change but I'm I'm interested in it I'm excited about it but you know how long is it going to be until a lot of people are doing that that's a really good question we'll 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 see but thanks a lot for the question Eric really appreciate that and good luck good luck out there in Idaho All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Before we go, I just want to say thanks to our production staff. My sister Janelle was running the controls for me today. I want to thank our guests who were on earlier in the show. And thanks to everybody who wrote in with questions. We have a lot more questions that we got to get to here in the next few days. I have an enormous stack of questions. We always print them out so that I have them right in front of me. And uh, I got a lot more to get to. So I apologize if it's been a while since we got to your question, but we'll, we'll try to get to as many as we can here in the next few days. Well, thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.